0: Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast that explores the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of
0: comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us now, listeners. You may remember, this is almost an apology actually, a few weeks ago, when I said that the There weren't any more issues of Lois Lane for us to cover. Well, I'd forgotten about issue 105. Gosh, so there we are. Yes, this week we are reading a story from issue 105 of Lois Lane. Peter is going to tell you about the cover.
1: Indeed, at the top there's a caption that says Death House Honeymoon of Superman's Girlfriend Lois Lane. And we have a scene inside a prison. There's a prisoner carrying... Lois Lane, who is his bride, she's wearing a gorgeous wedding dress, and he's carrying her towards an electric chair. Oh no, Mm. and Superman's at the side, he's holding open the door. The prisoner is saying,
0: We're married now, Lois, and I'm about to carry you over the threshold. And Superman says, But in five minutes, you'll leave alone, as his widow. So that's a bit dark, isn't it? I it like is. is. One of the executions, there's a priest, obviously, we can see standing mm. in an electric chair with a looks like a Bible, and what looks like Richard Nixon standing beside him. I'm not a crook. Yeah, all very contemporary.
1: At the very bottom of the cover, there's the head of a red-haired woman. Mm. And it's coming out of that as a big banner
0: saying, Extra! First sensational appearance of Rose and the Thorn! Yes, listeners. For this is why we are doing issue 105 of... Superman's Girlfriend Lois Lane because it's the first appearance of Rosenthorne and, and, Rose and Thorn believe it or not is a DC Comics legacy character of sorts. Indeed yes. yes. So it's one of those ones when Pete's just gone through that whole description of the cover but we're not actually going to read that story. <laughs> I do have a synopsis prepared but we'll come to that in a moment because Peter is going to tell us all about the history of the Golden Age Thorn. Yes the Golden Age Thorn was
1: Rose Canton. She was a villain of the Flash. Mm. Now She first appeared in Flash Comics issue 89, that's in 1947. That story is called Introducing the Thorn. That's a good name for a story that introduces the Thorn. It is indeed. In that story, Flash is at police headquarters when they get a call that a woman called the Thorn is robbing the Midtown Bank. After knocking out her accomplices, the Flash encounters the Thorn. Jay grabs her, but she uses her powers to spin like a top to try and escape. Suddenly, the red-haired Thorn vanishes and in her place is a blonde woman who introduces herself as the Thorn's sister, Rose. Rose explains that she and her sister were on an expedition when her sister became obsessed with the Jungle Thorn. Thorn then left the expedition and terrorised the natives. Blimey. Flash then takes Rose home, and when alone, Rose transforms into the Thorn. Later, when planning a diamond heist, the Thorn confronts Flash for a second time, but manages to escape. The Flash knowing that the Thorn's after these diamonds goes to the river barge where the diamonds are being transported. The Thorn dramatically parachutes onto the barge and attacks Flash with special thorns that explode, and they bury the Flash in sand. Now as the Thorn makes her get away by speedboat, Jay escapes and kicks up a massive wave to stop her. Thorn tries to escape by swimming to a nearby ocean liner. When ascending the ladder onto the boat, she hurls explosive thorns at the Flash, and in doing so, she loses her grip and seemingly falls to a watery doom. Oh no. But we close the story with Jay informing Rose of her sister's demise.
0: So Jay's not aware of the, the transformation no. thing going on. That's quite interesting. So it's only the reader knows. The reader knows, oh. yes.
1: Now, the Thorn only had one other appearance in the Golden Age. And that was in Flash Comics 96. And that's a story called The Flash and the Thornstalk. <laughs> now in this story, Jay meets up with Rose and starts to suspect she's the Thorn. Now, later, Jay's in his lab and hears on the police radio that the Thorn is back and is robbing a bank. He springs into action as the Flash, but as he goes to leave the lab, he encounters Rose, who is on her way to see Jay. Flash is now convinced she isn't the Thorn, tells Rose that her sister is alive and zooms off to capture her. But when he reaches the bank, Flash is knocked out by a thorny booby trap. When he awakes, he hears that Thorn has created a giant thorn stock. In the middle of Grimes Square. Right. Now Flash manages to climb the stock and catch Thorn, who is atop it. When back in the ground, Thorn attacks the crowds with throwing dart thorns. Flash tries to grab her, but she does her spinning top thing again. And then she vanishes. And then Rose appears. Gosh. Flash takes out a full-page newspaper ad challenging Thorn. Thorn turns up, but instead of fighting, she offers Flash her hand. And they walk to the police station. And at the very last second, before she's taken into the cell, Thorn pushes Flash in and pins him to the wall with explosive thorns. Oh dear. Jay manages to vibrate his way out and confronts Thorn, who manages to escape by diving down a manhole and setting off an explosion. And we close on Jay consoling Rose once again
0: about the death of her sister. So Jay still is unaware. That's fascinating. Jay is still unaware.
1: Now, there was a third story written by Robert Candiger featuring the Thorn that uh, was unpublished. In the Golden Age. Now we did mention it in a previous Lois Lane episode because they did actually print a couple of the pages from that in there. But I've actually discovered that the full story has been reprinted in black and white in the 80 years of Flash hardcover.
0: Oh really? That's quite a recent thing then, isn't it? It's a
1: very recent thing. I don't have it so I don't have any of the details in it but I believe Ah. from the synopsis that I read of it uh, basically what happens is there's another encounter with the Thorn. Rose wants Thorn gone after she realises that's part of her and basically she's taken to Paradise Island with the curer.
0: Was it a Justice society or a story or a Flash story? If yeah, Paradise other... Island is involved, yeah. then there must be other heroes involved. Other
1: JSAs were involved, yeah. Huh?
0: Ah, I seem to remember Green Lantern mm-hmm. being in a couple of... Because yeah, yeah. it was when we did The Girl Who Mourned for Superman Yeah, and I had the, the giant issue that reprinted the story and that's what I read it from and that had two pages of, of the unpublished story at the back of that, I remember. Uh-huh. Now. Yeah. I mean, it's unusual in those days to have other heroes turning up in, in stories like that. That's that's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. See, I, th- I wasn't going to bother with any of these 80-year-old sort of celebration edition hardbacks because from what I'd seen, the, the content seemed very similar to the 75 years hardbacks that we yeah. all bought uh-huh. a few years ago. So mm-hmm. I think I've moaned elsewhere about how disappointed I was that the Shazam 75 years hardback basically had virtually everything that was in mm-hmm. the Great Shazam stories ever told. It was very, very lazy. So I'm yeah, a bit shame. reluctant to fork out another... Forty quid on another flash <laughs> anniversary hardback, but if it's got that story in it, it might have to. Yeah, saying the
1: same thing. I know. Interesting. Obviously, subsequently to that, she has made several other appearances that we will be covering on the podcast. Mm. Uh, she'll be appearing in All Star Comics and indeed turns up in Infinity Inc. But that's way in the future, so stay tuned for that.
0: Awesome. Yes, I remember the All Star Comics cover. That's right, because Wildcat's getting pinned to a wall or something, isn't he? Yep, that's right. So yes, watch out for that one, listeners. So with that little handy recap, thank you, Peter, of the Golden Age thorn, we're about to meet the Bronze Age thorn, the thorn of Earth One, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, as I said at the top, there are two stories in issue 105. There's the cover story, which is a very, very, it's quite actually quite a good story. It's quite enjoyable, quite a bit more depth than the usual sort of Lois Lane stories that we've covered. It starts off with Lois and Clark discussing the thorn and her connection to a criminal organisation known as the One Hundred. Lois ends up marrying a convicted murderer on death row who is the name of Johnny Adonis because of a promise she made when Johnny had rescued her from an ice skating accident. It's worth tracking down a copy of this comic just for that, for that alone actually, it's a lot of fun. There's a prison break at the prison where Johnny's being held. Johnny gets involved, basically the hundreds are breaking their guys out of prison. Lois gets taken hostage and is rescued by the thorn after she ends up in a car which is shoved into a river. But sadly, Johnny is shot and killed by a member of the hundreds, and it's all very sort of sad and a bit poignant. Superman encounters the thorn briefly and ruminates and wonders who she is, and frustratingly the thorn runs off through some fog, but Superman isn't able to trace her, which is, <laughs> which is just weird, quite frankly. Mm. But the second story in issue 105, which is the one we're going to do for you today, is essentially the origin of Rose and Thorn. So, Pete, so before we get into the story, mm-hmm. can you remember when you first encountered this version of Rose and Thorn that we're talking about mainly today?
1: It might have been in an actual Lois Lane issue in one of the backups right, that of happened course. when I was very young. It might have been that, or if it wasn't that, it's was probably one of the two
0: Brave and Bold appearances yeah. she
1: made. I can't remember offhand, but certainly I think it was that. I haven't
0: tried to remember, and I really can't recall. I have a feeling I probably saw one of the covers of Brave and Bold. But maybe the first time I read a story with her was one of the, the early 90s or late 80s sort of era Superman stories that mm-hmm. she was involved in. Because I seem to remember the 100 being brought back, but yeah. they were called the 1000. That's right, yeah. And they troubled, was it Booster Gold at one Booster point Gold, as she well? Booster Booster Gold, yeah. yeah.
1: She had a knee brace in that, which was quite interesting.
0: Yeah, Thorn. Listeners, when did you first encounter the Rosenthorne? Let us know. So, as Pete alluded to there, Rosenthorn ended up becoming a backup strip in... The Low Lane comic running secondary to Lois's adventures and the first chapter in this backup strip, as we say, deals with her origin. So, without any further ado, our opening page. Three panels. The first panel which takes up the left hand length of the page has a caption that says Amid the silent sleeping dead and the funeral drums of thunder, a jagged shaft of lightning rips aside the sable mantle of night to reveal a brooding figure. And we see the thorn, we should describe her properly. It's it's <laughs> it's quite it's almost a fetishistic uniform in a way. She has thigh-length green boots, there's a sort of leather look to them, green shorts, a zip-up sort of halter top and long green gloves. She has wild red hair that curls behind her. It's a look in some ways that's been kind of appropriated with Poison Ivy over the years. Yes. I've seen quite a few Poison Ivy cosplayers that look mm-hmm. a bit more like Thorn than anything else. The
1: original Thorn's power set were, as well is very Poison Ivy-like, yeah.
0: whereas this one is a bit different. Yeah, I think when we write our own DC comic, we will draw further attention to such yes. things. And we see that the Thorn is standing over a small, not quite a gravestone, but a monument, lightning flashing behind her. She has her fist clasped to her chest as she says, "'I'll avenge your murder, Dad. "'I'll run the night until I track down the 100.' Your murderers, one by one. And a story title caption tells us that this adventure is called Night, Night of, of the thorn. thorn. And we have a tiny box of credits that says Created and written by Robert Canagar, art by Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito. Canagar's back, listeners. Mm, yes, strap yourself in. Fantastic. Panel two is a large rose and thorn logo, rose and the thorn, if I'm entirely accurate, showing both the names of the two characters. And the flower is sort of diagonally split. It's very attractive. This page will probably go on the socials, so you, you'll be able to see it there. Mm-hmm. The wind is howling around. The caption says, And in a keening voice, rising above the moaning, septural wind, the thorn continues, I'll crush each limb of that centipede of crime, or die in the attempt. Into the shades of darkest night fades the female fury. She walks off, almost repeating, This I vow. 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 And we see... The headstone that she'd be looking at is labelled Phil Forest, 1925-1970. to 1970. Rest in peace. Interesting. First panel of page two has another sort of, almost like a chapter title caption that says Day of the Rose. And a caption for the first panel says Next day, bright sun and gentle breeze ripple across the green field of the dead. We're back in the same cemetery and we see a short-haired blonde girl in a red dress, very sort of the elfin cut the Mia Farrow sort of look that was popular at the time, kneeling down in front of a gravestone. Um, she's obviously been laying some flowers. And a young man in a sort of pale brown checked suit standing behind her. And the girl on her knees is saying, Oh, Danny, if you knew how much I miss my dad. I know, Rose. I miss him too. He taught me everything I know about detective work. We can see in the next panel she's, she's crying as she holds Danny a bit closer, cries into his chest saying, I, I can't believe Dad's dead. Even though it's been a month since... No one will forget Detective Sergeant Phil Forrest Rose. We made a great team. I'll always remember. And the caption for panel three, which very interestingly has a few sort of leafs drawn on it to sort of extend the whole Rosenthorn motif. The caption says, Like a flurry of autumn leaves, the days roll back to a fateful day when Sergeant Forrest and Detective Daniel Stone rode the city's ominous streets. This panel is gorgeous. There's no other way for it. It's a lovely sort of street level scene. There's a fire hydrant in the foreground. There's a real bridge overhead. We can see some shops. It's all very urban. It's very good, very very impressive. In the foreground of the panel, we see a bespectacled shopkeeper down on the ground, getting hassled by a couple of guys in suits. As in the background, a car has drawn up, and two figures are emerging. One wearing a green suit and a green hat, and another, a younger man, wearing pale brown check suits. One of them is obviously Danny. This is obviously Sergeant Forrest as well, arriving. Now, the two men in suits are hassling the shopkeeper. The first one says, When the hundred says you got to pay for protection, Mr Goldstein, they mean it. And his colleague says, You're going to learn the organisation means business the hard way. Then, Sergeant Forrest arrives on the scene, punching out the hood and the brown hat. In the next panel, him and Danny are getting stuck in. Danny's flipping one of the, <laughs> the hundred hoods right... <laughs> he's flipping them right over, us like a judo throw or something. And as he's doing so, the hood is saying, The hundred i will send out a hot contract and you fuzz, you'll be hit between the eyes before... Oof! As he goes flying. The first caption for page three. The threats hung like an ominous axe over the detective team prowling the haunts of the city, night after night. And another very urban shot showing Forrest and Daniel Driving around, there's a, an inset panel which shows them getting out of the car and running towards some guys who are up to no good. We can see that one of them's climbing over a fence to get away and one of them's holding on to, it looks like a plate, quite frankly. <laughs> They've obviously got some stolen goods. They're all very smartly dressed, though. Um, one of them's firing a gun at Danny and the sergeant as the sergeant says, The 100's fences are picking up stolen goods from the kids they taught to steal. So that's obviously what's going on there. The caption for the next panel... As the kids fled, blazing shots ripped through the night. Yeah, lots of kapows and pows as the sergeant and the hundred guys fire back at each other. And then the next panel we see that one of the hundred guys is down on the ground. It almost looks like Danny's being shot square in the chest, but there's some more kapows and pows and a hundred guys hat goes flying. And actually, Danny has been shot because in the next panel, he's down on the ground clutching his chest and he says to the Sarge,
1: Never mind me, Phil. Go after those hoods. I'll be all right. A sluck nicked me. That's all.
0: Sure you'll be okay, Danny. Sure, and a pow, pow, pow and a kapow as the sergeant files back, Danny manages to raise himself off the ground in the final panel of page three and says, Go on, Phil, stop treating me like a kid. I'm a cop, like you. Okay, Danny, maybe those hoods will lead me to a 100 contact, and we'll rip open that centipede's nest at last. Detective Sergeant Phil Forrest's wild chase of the firing gunman ended at the waterfront as he deliberately rammed his car into their rear. And very dramatically, that's what we see happen. There's another little inset panel of Forrest with his windscreen shattered as he's being fired upon. And then a wider image, beautifully detailed, of his car crashing into the back of the vehicle that 100 members were using. And this takes place down at the docks. Very, very effective. Might put this panel on the socials. The caption for the next panel. Hours later, Detective
1: Stone drove his partner's daughter Rose to the sinister river just as a dripping
0: coffin was raised. Yes, we see that the car that Sergeant Forrest was driving is being hoisted out of the water. It's very effective, actually, because the, we can see there's a spotlight being shone over it. This is a nice looking story. We can see a, a doctor in the foreground of the panel. We can see his medical bag. We can see a couple of police officers and some frogmen on the other side of the, the pier sort of gesturing and giving directions. And in the foreground, Rose, with their head in their hands, obviously distraught, standing with Danny, and Rose is saying, Oh, no! It's Dad! He's dead! Oh, no! 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 And Danny looks down at the medical man that's on the scene and says, Doc, come here, quick! A slow dissolve. The next night at Metropolis Hospital. And we see Rose in a hospital bed, being looked at through a window by Danny and the doctor. Danny's got his arm on a sling, you can see that more clearly here, obviously from his injury, and he's saying, Rose is sleeping. She's getting over it. And the balding doctor that's with Danny says, Wait! And in the next panel, we see that Rose has got up out of bed. And she's wearing a very nice floor length pink nightie, so that's lovely. As Danny and the doctor watch this, Danny says, What woke her up, Doc? She's not awake. Even though her eyes are open, she's being driven to walk in her sleep. And in the final panel, of page four, we see Rose banging her hands. On the wall of her hospital rooms, a couple of thump-thump sound effects. And Danny says, Why is she beating the wall with her bare fists? She's acting out vengeance against her father's murderers. Her ego personality as Rose is incapable of violence, but her id, her unconscious self, is different. I, I don't get it, Doc. Is Rose asleep or awake? Both. Only when she walks in her sleep and her id can take over, she pursues her father's killers. The next panel, Rose has got back into bed, Danny and the Doctor watch and the Doctor continues. Time will merge her dual personalities into one again when the shock of her father's death fades. Then she'll have no need to act out this dream drama. Two
1: days later, discharged from the hospital.
0: We see Rose wearing a very short, attractive, fitted orange dress and she's been approached by a very good-looking man with dark hair standing next to a very expensive-looking car. And this very, very handsome, very well-dressed man is saying to Rose. Rose Forrest? I'm Vince Dennis, an admirer of your
1: father's bravery. I'm giving him a hero's funeral at my chapel at my own
0: expense. Let me take you to him, please. That's a bit random, isn't it? Anyway, Rose replies, I I was waiting for a friend, Danny Stone, to pick me up. But I guess he's still on duty. She gives it some thought and says, All right. Shortly at Riverview Chapel. Yes, this is very bizarre. We can see a coffin, which has a handy label. that says Filled Forest. Lots of flowers around. Rose and Vince are looking at it. Rose says, It's beautiful. How can I thank you? By taking my secretary's place.
1: She left to get married. You'd be helping me and yourself. Work is the best medicine for grief. Think about it.
0: And he takes his leave in the next panel. Looking very shady as he looks back over his shoulder at Rose, who's on her knees, crying over her father's coffin, the poor soul. Another slow dissolve. But Rose does not know the true nature of her benefactor. And we see Vince with a cigar in his hand in a very lush-looking office, and he's sat down in front of two men, both wearing brown suits, both of brown hair, and he's handing one of them a flipping great wadge of cash. Vince says, I'm paying off your
1: contract for Forrest. Your next hit is Detective Danny Stone. Be sure you don't miss him. The 100 wouldn't like it. It's not very clear at this point if
0: these two guys are worth a hundred. We'll probably find that out. The first one says, We ain't getting in bed with the organisation, Mr. Dennis. And the one who's receiving the money says, We'll drop stone at the bottom of the river, like we did its partner. Uh Uh-oh. Another slow dissolve. The caption for the first panel on page six says, The memory of 30 painful days on before the setting sun. Yes, very effective shot of Rose and Danny in the cemetery. The sun going down behind them. Lovely pink skies, some... Wafting blue clouds, very, very effective, Rose is saying, If only I were a man, like you, Danny, I'd be helping you hunt Dad's killers, the 100. Someone is helping Rose, a
1: mysterious stranger. She's openly challenging that crime combine with these circulars dropped by
0: a plane. And we see in the next panel that Rose is holding one of these printed circulars. It shows an image of the thorn's face and a bit of text at the top says, I, the thorn, which continues underneath her face, Warn the infamous 100 that I will hunt them down, one by one, to the death. Did they have Photoshop in 1970? Did they have desktop publishing like this? I don't she know. took a picture and then she cut it out. And yeah. then she went along
1: to the printers and says, I want all of these. And then she hired a plane and then she got them to do a drop. Easy. Easy. Yeah. Jinx. It's fascinating. It's better than an aggressive Facebook campaign.
0: <laughs> a sponsored advert on on Instagram. The next panel shows Danny and Rose walking through the cemetery and it's a high angle shot. We can see two shady guys are highlighted in blue that are watching them. Rose is saying what blazing eyes, obviously looking at the picture of Thorn, like a cat in the dark. I wonder who the Thorn is.
1: No one knows. I hope slapping the hundred's face with this challenge won't end with her being fished out of the river.
0: That night, in the small brown stone in which she had lived with her father, Rose is seared by a recurrent nightmare. Another very interesting inset panel showing Rose in her bed, with the main image behind being the shot of the building where she lives, and a ghostly image of her father hovering in front of Rose's sleeping form that's saying, I will not rest till you find my killers. Find them. Her dead father's voice clangs like a hollow bronze bell in a secret part of her brain. Yeah. And Rose has sat bolt upright in bed, eyes wide open, To her dad's voice echoing around her, saying, Protect the innocent from the one hundred! One hundred! One hundred! One hundred! Through a secret door she discovered as a child, and never revealed, into a narrow passageway, leading to a child's private world, hidden to adults. Yes, we see Rose entering this passageway. There's a nice moody cobweb in the The front of this panel, or towards the end of page 6 now, and then the caption for the final panel of page 6. Gliding into the abandoned house on the other side. And we see Rose opening another door and continuing along through this secret passageway. The caption for the first panel of page 7. And in the eerie boarded up loft of an abandoned costume (laughs) shop... That's a bit of a narrative leap. <laughs> we see Rose. There's a coat rail behind her with a long red dress and also the familiar green leather bikini outfit that we saw Thorn in the opening panel. And we can see Rose standing in front of a, a range of dummy heads, each with the wigs on them. And Rose is picking up the long auburn tresses of the Thorn. And then in the next panel, we see her... Putting on the full costume, she's wearing the, the, the green leather bikini with a sort of floral detail around the belt. She's wearing the gloves, she's peeling on the boots. A caption says, Driven by her secret self, Rose emerges as the Thorn and fades into the watchful silent shadows of the night. Yes, I've got a bit lost in the geography here, listeners, I can't lie. Panel 3 of page 7, with a full moon looming in the background, take a drink. We see the Thorn exiting from what looks like a ruined building. So there must have been um, this passageway that Rose mm. has gone down. must be very long indeed <laughs> to lead to this other part of, of, of town. There's a,
1: Oh, there's a dead, like, building directly at the back of mm. our own building?
0: Yeah. Mm. Some nice detailing here. The artwork in the store is really nice. There's a yeah. telegraph pole. We can see what it looks like, you know, some, some broken household debris lying around the front. But yes, yeah, so the thorn takes flight and the caption for panel four of page seven says, In a nearby alley. And we're back with Danny Stone who's running down the alley with a gun in hand, pursuing another fellow. Danny is thinking, One of the 100 killers Phil chased to his death. Listeners, if you remember our Spectre drinking game, there are a couple of dustbins in this alleyway that Danny's running down, so if you're that way inclined, take a drink. As Danny gives pursuit, he cries, Police! Halt before I shoot! But then the next panel, he gets struck from behind by a brown suit, brown hat-wearing goon, who strikes Dan in the back of the head with a pistol. There's a thud sound effect. Danny goes down on the ground. Final pile of page seven. The two hoods stand over him. One of them says, Stupid fuzz. Warning us before the fire makes pigeons out of them. And his pal says, This'll be an easy hit. We'll be collecting on his contract like we did on his partners. So these are obviously the guys that Vincent was talking to. We arrive at the top of page eight. Suddenly, erupting out of the night with blazing eyes like an avenging ghost, and it's a very effective large panel with three inset panels that show the thorn arriving on the scene and basically beating up the two goons that were trying to take out Danny. There's a thunk and another thunk as she judo chops them in the neck and drops them to the ground. She pulls them together, tying their wrists above their heads as Danny comes to and says, "Thorn, my handcuffs. You're making a citizen's arrest." Without a word, final panel of page eight. Thorn runs off down the alleyway. Plenty of dustbins on this page, so make sure you're taking your drinks. Danny calls after her. Thorn,
1: who are you? Where do you come from? You can't battle the 100 alone. You'll be signing
0: your own death warrant. Thorn! Thorn! Top of page nine. Slow dissolve. Caption of the first panel. On our ceaseless vigil, a shadow among shadows, a fury pursued by other furies hunting the sinister streets of Metropolis. Until So there's an inset panel here, but the greater image shows Thorne just running through the very urban, very detailed sort of metropolis layout. It's it's clear this is the, the sort of subway mm-hmm. that she's running under. The L train. Yeah, so to speak. But the inset panel, she's with a couple of women, one of them's obviously been hurt, she's down on the ground clutching her stomach, and Thorne says, She's sick! Get her to a doctor fast. Who did it to her? And a friend says, They're in there, inside the bowling alley. She points behind the thorn. A moment later... Thorn has made it inside the bowling alley. Is this the first appearance of a bowling alley in the Earth 2 podcast? Uh, maybe. A bowling ball's
1: appeared. We had the shade use his bowling ball. No, it was a cue ball. That was an eight ball, sorry.
0: Yeah. Uh, I else. hate bowling. <laughs> I'm not very good at it, and I think it's a terrible way to spend an evening, and I've ended up having to do it like more times than I'm ever going to be comfortable with, but there you go. The thorn is now inside the bowling alley. We can see a couple of guys in suits. Obviously the shady folk that the the woman told her about. There's some zings and pows as they fire upon and the bullets deflect. A man who doesn't seem to be dressed the same way as the others, wearing a more sort of grey shirt and trousers, he cries. The thorn! And one of the goons says as he fires. There's an open contract in that devil doll. Cooler with hot lead. Amazing. Against blazing bullets, the vengeful Vestal unleashes her raking claws cracking montage over these three panels to round out page nine is Basically, Thorn takes out the bad guys by throwing bowling balls at them. Gosh. I wonder if she's invulnerable to bullets. It's very interesting. She certainly dodges them. Mm. She's a fine-looking lass, it must be said. In the final panel, where she strikes the balding guy in the grey outfit and his gun goes flying. She says, You're going to jail! Fantastic. And so, we arrive on the final page. There's an interesting inset panel. Lots of very interesting partly out choices in this story, of Thorn running towards us, with the background being the ruined building that she left after getting changed earlier on. The text for this little insect caption says, At the first glimmerings of dawn, the Thorn returns from her nightmare quest. And then over three other insect panels we see her, removing her wig, walking back down the cobwebbed corridor, and then Rose returning to her bedroom. And the caption for the final panel of this story says, Her dual personality once more submerges into her waking self. And Rose wakes up and says, What a strange dream I had, like dim pieces of a jigsaw puzzle I can't put together. And a closing caption as the sun comes up says, This is the beginning. Don't miss the next haunting appearance of the gentle Rose and the bitter Thorn in the November issue of the new Lois Lane magazine. Which I suppose brings us to, the end. the end. So, mm-hmm. that was fun. Very yes. concise. Yes, very
1: different. Uh huh. I
0: good. really, really liked the art on it. Mm-hmm. As I said like, during the telling, the the inset panels and the the economic sort of storytelling. Yes, was phenomenal. We've talked in the past about how some of the the caption storytelling is a bit mm-hmm. overbearing, but it all seemed to work very well in tandem. There just seemed to be just enough to kind of, yep. you know, give us the detail of the change of scene. Mm-hmm. There's obviously. A lot of plot elements left unresolved, like her relationship with Danny Rose and has she found out about Vincent and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So presumably, once we've finished our Earth 2 podcast and our Dial H for Hero podcast and our Challenges of the Unknown podcast, we could maybe think about doing a Rose and Thorne podcast because I'm intrigued to find out what happens next. Gosh, how exciting would that be? (laughs) I don't know, you tell me. (laughs) But no, kudos, enormous kudos to Ross, Andrew and Mike Esposito because that was gorgeous. Yeah, it's fantastic. That was very, very enjoyable. One thing I did think was funny though was the... Obviously, they've got to be concise. It's only ten pages, <laughs> and they want to get everyone up to speed. But I was very amused at the doctor's instant snap <laughs> diagnosis of what was going on with Rose.
1: Indeed, yes, he must be an expert in such things, yes. or perhaps he's programmed her to do such things.
0: Ooh. Oh, oh, this story! So, yeah, have uh-huh. you read? Have
1: you read ahead? Then I can't say how no, interesting. No. But yeah, that that would be a nice twist.
0: I had a few of the Lois Lane issues with the the Rosenthorn backups mm-hmm. at at one point. I don't have them now, but I'm certainly intrigued. I think if I had read this issue of Lois Lane back in the day, Mm -hmm. I would have kept. I would have gone, oh, I. This is. I'm intrigued by this. This is. I'm sold. I would have kept going with that story. Do it. It also sort of reminded me of the sort of. Did you read many of the British weekly comics? when you were a kid quite a few yeah huh? it felt a bit like them you know the sort of mm. you know this this. I mean this didn't feel like a traditional it, DC comic it story it felt you know. in the
1: style of Leopard of Lime Street or Billy the Cat or aye that like sort that, yeah. of thing like the setup uh-huh. for
0: one of those that like, you know mm. occasionally you know if there was nothing else around there was an issue of Bunty or my cousins or whatever you would maybe mm. flick through that and you know it's it's obviously female targeted female orientated mm. but you don't dwell too much on the violence and what there is is kind of the stuff with her dad as shown is quite tragic it's very atmospheric with the sunrises and the moody corridors and stuff yeah Compared to the vast majority of stuff that we've done for this podcast, it really, to me, it felt the most like one of those IPC or DC Thompson stories yeah. I might have read as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can totally see that, yeah. Yeah, cool.
1: I do remember having quite a few of these Lois Lane issues when I was younger, around about this era, and I've still got, have still got them all, I'm sure, all uh, good. but I've not actually read them in quite a while, and I do remember at the time thinking I much prefer the Thorne story than the Lois Lane story at the time. Right, might be different if I read them now. Don't know, but uh I did find them really engaging.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, when I was reading the the, the lead Lewis story in preparation, so I come up with the summary, I was struck. I mean, it's not that long. Was it ninety four and ninety six? The mm. ones that were talked about. So mm-hmm. this is only about a year or so later at the yeah. most. Even that felt slightly more evolved. Uh huh. You know, the lead story in this issue felt more evolved yeah. than those ones we did. the Bronze Age, baby. And, yeah, it's yep, kicking in. I mean, we're not too far away from I Am Curious Black, that famous issue. when. That's the next issue, yeah. Is it? Right. That's the next issue. Yeah. Of course it is, you're right. And that's you know, the famous one when, when they mm-hmm. tackle the sort of, you know, the civil rights idea and mm-hmm. the racial tension in the country, yeah. that, you know, square on. It's it's very mm-hmm. interesting times. I mean, it's it's light years away from yeah, Lois... Piney after Clark and come up with true interesting times. I think that issue's
1: a little bit heavy-handed, but its, it's heart's entirely in the right place. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's, it's a really... I recommend reading it. Just yeah, read it for yourself and don't so. judge it by its cover, because right. most people do.
0: I have a feeling that might be available in uh, the 75 years of Lois Lane hardback. It is indeed, yes. Which is on a shelf in front of me, listeners, as I speak.
1: I got Margot Kidder to sign my copy of that Did hardback. you? I did indeed, oh, yeah. gosh,
0: that's lovely. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I need to put a picture of that on the socials at some point. Yeah. I mean, the Lois comic continues up to about 120-odd, I think, as you said before. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, it gets folded into Superman Family, along with Jimmy Olsen. And we'll be talking about Jimmy Olsen around this sort of time very, very soon, mm-hmm. listeners, don't you worry. It will be interesting to see if any of Lois's adventures in Superman Family fall under a remit, because this was... Mm-hmm. I was really quite impressed with the, the more substantial and less frivolous sort of feel to that first story that we, you know, we summarised at the top. But yes, we should talk a bit more about Rose and Thorne, I suppose, It'll be interesting to see if the Earth 1 version pops up again in the podcast or not. Probably not, but as you said at the top, we'll be yeah, we'll certainly see. meeting the Earth 2-1 on Indeed. a couple of occasions. Yes.
1: I'm actually quite surprised that DC have never brought out like a complete Rose and Thorn collection, because if you add up all the story pages together, it'd make a lovely volume, especially those two dragon sure. balls as well. Yeah, absolutely. Be really cool.
0: I mean, it's, it's interesting what the, what's happened with the characters sort of recently in the lead-up to Bendis launching his Legion of Superheroes title. Mm-hmm. You know, this is post how many crises and reboots yeah. and stuff, you know, way, way, you know, out beyond the the time period we we're gonna be covering. They basically sort of had it that Thorne was immortal yeah. and lived through everything, the Great Disaster and Commandy and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff and Metal Matters. Millennium Mac and that, that yes. two issue series. Yes, yes, that's right, mm-hmm. yeah. All the way up to to being, you know, being there for the setup for the Legion. So it's and I believe there was a, a series in the 2000s. I'm yeah, not sure. 2006-ish. Yeah. yeah, there was that.
1: And there was also a National Comics issue when DC did the one-shot National Comics, bringing back some of the old characters.
0: Was that a New 52 thing?
1: Yeah, it was during the New 52. Uh-huh.
0: Right, because I, I remember seeing a few of those, but mm-hmm. because the New 52 had irritated me so much, <laughs> I didn't really pay too much attention.
1: Yeah, they're all one-shots,
0: yeah. Right, I might have mm-hmm. to do some more digging. So yes, there's plenty, plenty of other Rose and Thorn stuff you need to investigate listeners in mm-hmm. this episode is has piqued your interest. Now,
1: interestingly, the letters column changes to letters to Lois and Rose. Oh that's that's fun. Yeah. And there's not a lot of talk about Rose and Thorn as relates to this issue, but the first letter, the first half of it, certainly goes into it. And it says Dear Editor, what can I say but great? Lois Lane one oh five is, of course, of what I'm speaking. You showed Lois just as I love her. Sharp. And the Thorn is too much for words. The thorn is an interesting cross. The mystery of the Batman and the same cause for vengeance.
0: That's a fair point, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: The basic wigged superheroine and the quiet alter ego of the Black Canary. But the idea of a superheroine who is simply mentally ill, namely with schizophrenia, as well, superlative. Rose promises to be the most interesting schizophrenic since Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> there you go. Not technically schizophrenia, but yeah. it, back in the 70s, that's what they thought.
0: But it's a, it's an interesting idea that Someone so driven by grief creates another personality that acts out on it and, and mm-hmm. deals with stuff. That's, I mean, this is light, as I said at the top, this is light years away from the normal stuff that we're used to in Lois Lane. So yep. this this issue was not a chore to, to look at at all, frankly.
1: Yep. That comment was from Barbara Reader. There's another letter from Gregory Kent. Mm-hmm. And the first half of that talks about the first story and then he talks about Knight of the Thorn.
0: Yep, Gregory says... Now let's skip over to Knight of the Thorn. Well at least it was handled better than the previous tale. Come on, Gregory it was good. Undoubtedly you will get letters from many fans hailing Rosenthorn as a sensational breakthrough and the most original character in years. I know, because I was ready to write such a letter after seeing the ads. You've disappointed me though. The Thorn seems to be just a female Batman out to avenge her father's death with a dash of Jekyll and Hyde thrown in for good measure. Well, the strip might be okay in its own in some other mag, but it just doesn't seem to fit into Lois Lane. Artwork-wise, things went a little better. Andrew and Esposito are good, and they did an admirable job their first time out on a Lois Lane tale, but they still don't seem quite right for Lois Lane. If I were you, I'd put Kurt Schaefenberger back in Lois Lane, now that Mike Sikowski is doing Supergirl. Well, that's about it. You wanted readers' opinions, and now you've got mine. Harsh though it may be, after this rather pessimistic review, I'm optimistically hoping for something better in the November issue. Please don't let me down. And As Pete said, that's from Gregory Kent in California. Editorial response to that was, we hope we didn't, Greg. By the way, you're right about the many letters praising the thorn. Yours was one of the few negative responses. Hmm. That's from E. Nelson bridwell Fascinating. Response, yeah, I thought it was good. And the final letter
1: in that letter column says, I especially liked Rose and the thorn. I'm looking forward to seeing much more of her. I don't really know why I like Rose, but maybe it's because she has the same haircut I do. And that's from <laughs> Linda Hamilton, from terminator uh, from
0: <laughs> winnipeg manitoba canada now this is when we have to look up and see if linda hamilton was born and you know, <laughs> grew up in canada you never know could be possible could be. maybe we'll if we find that out listeners will let you know
1: listeners did you grow up in canada <laughs> please get in touch and let yes. us know you can email us at thef 2 at gmail.com make sure you follow us on social media because we're posting up some lovely bonus content for this and indeed every episode on Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 podcast and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore earth2. And make sure you check out our website. I haven't mentioned that for a while. That's TheEarth2Podcast.com, where you can find this and every other episode.
0: Yep, if you're feeling generous, you can go to wherever it is you receive your podcast and give us a positive review. I'm told that such things are good for us. I've been listening to the new Smallville Rewatch podcast with Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling. and Tom did a reasonable job in the latest episode of explaining that Reviews apparently are good for demonstrating that people are paying attention and are interested. So, yeah, take it from Tom Welling. Go and give (laughs) us a nice review if you feel like it. And also check out TalkVille because it's a lot of fun. Mm. I hadn't watched Smallville for years, but a lot of stuff's coming coming back. It's very, very enjoyable. So that's our podcast recommendation of the week. And on that note, (laughs) I've been Peter. I've been David. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again very soon on... The Earth, Earth two. 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. Magic.